broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. interviewed bb king uh no i was Were you not. part of the show then no, no i was not no. do you remember hearing that interview though i believe so yes yeah. uh folks we're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca on the my joy radio app and itunes google play and across the gta on am 1250 joy radio esther fleece is about to join us on the show she's the author of no more faking fine ending the pretending uh, from a young age, Esther fleece learned to suck it up and hold it together while the world around her was falling apart uh, a victim of childhood trauma and abuse, she ignored her hurting heart and channeled her energies to extreme hustle, performance, and achievement. In her new book, No More Faking Fine, Ending the Pretending, Esther shares how the practice of lament, a word rarely discussed, changed her life and sets readers on an encouraging path towards healing. And she joins us all. The- I-, I actually don't even know. Esther, where are you right now? Where are you from? Well, let me just say I'm from the great state of Michigan, so I love my Canadian friends, Whoa. and it's an honor to be on. But Be- beauty, I'm calling eh? today from from Texas, and I'm sweating. I mean, it's hot down here. <laughs> yeah, what part? You must. If you're sweating at this time of year in Texas, are you closer to Houston? I well, today I'm in Dallas, but oh. you know I've been busy just promoting this book, so it's yeah. different every day. But today I'm near the Dallas area, and it's hot, yeah. especially. I'm used to those Michigan winters, and it's. It's sunny and probably 72 here today, so... Oh, yeah, I can hear the Michigan in you. I can hear it. (laughs) Why, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you wish that you hadn't have written in the book? Is there anything you you were like, oh, I shouldn't have have said that? Well, that's... I've never been asked that before. I'm going to have to reflect on that question. You know, the whole thing was just hard to write about. I think when you grow up and you have a difficult childhood or just... All of us have things in our past we don't want anyone to know about. So when it's put on paper and then shared with the world, it's just a little vulnerable, a little, little too vulnerable. Uh, so the whole thing, I mean, can I just say the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. No, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard that it's out there, but I mean, no turning back now. It's, it's out there. So. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you're sharing some pretty serious, messy stuff in there, and, and you've got relatives and, 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 uh, and, you know, family members that are just would they have known everything already or did you actually come out uh, writing this book in some ways? You know, a lot of my uh, biological family just ended up abandoning me. My father left the family when I was nine. My mother left me when I was 13. And unfortunately, you know, none of the extended family kind of came to my rescue. Um, So I found myself living with different families in my community and different coaches and just barely making it through the high school year. So I don't think anyone's going to be shocked when they read what they read, but um, if anything, it's kind of brought some clarity. You know, some of my high school teachers that knew I was, you know, didn't have a stable home life have already reached out to me and just said, I had no idea. I had no idea you were going through all that. And, you know, I was the president of the class and I played three sports and I just always was fine and had a happy face. So if anything, it's a lot of people um, just saying, wow. You know, you're the kind of the last person we thought that was going through 
through this type of heartache. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I have said for a long, long time that any high achievers I know, um, down deep, they're still trying to earn the love and the the uh, you know the pride of mom and dad, which is why my kids are never going to grow up and be achievers and really successful because they they know without a shadow of a doubt that I love them and I'm proud of them, and so they're not going to try to get my love and, and and attention and all that kind because they don't have to. Um, but that in your case. Did it turn you into a high driver? Like, are you just an absolutely wound super Jesus woman with a cape? Yeah, well, thank you. Yes. I mean, <laughs> no, I, mean I, I am pretty driven. I've always been driven. And you know what, Drew? I didn't want to be a statistic. I mean, even in high school, you start hearing about statistics of girls that don't have a father in the home and they become really promiscuous or, you know, people that are um, maybe in the foster care system, they're less likely to graduate high school and it's really depressing when you're one of those, you know, kind of statistics in the making. Hmm. And I just didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be defined by that. I didn't want to be defined by my brokenness. And so I just worked really hard to not be one of those statistics. And you know what? It worked for a while. You know, worked for 20 years, actually. Uh, and then God, out of his kindness, was like, hey, you don't need to keep performing. You know, you're, you're not a 10-year-old orphan anymore. And maybe those coping mechanisms worked for a season, but... You know, you don't have to live like that anymore. So I'm learning how to be a good daughter. You know, you talked about being a dad and loving your kids and that security that comes with it. I'm I'm almost having to, to relearn how to be a daughter instead of just an employee for God. Hmm. Oh, well said. I like that. That was, ooh, I like that one a lot. Um, there's a word that you've dropped on the world here that we're not real used to, uh, lament. I remember a friend of mine, uh, Candace Cameron Burray, came out with a book, and she dropped a word on everyone, and it was submit. And she talked about submitting to her husband, Val, and boy, did the media love interviewing her about that. But uh, lament is just such an obscure, like, you're kicking it old school with the word lament. <laughs> I am. I am. And, you know, Drew, it actually ended up saving my faith. I, uh, I, I never knew what the word meant. And it, it means an expression of grief. You know, it's not something that we use nowadays, but gosh, it's really hard to look at the Bible and find one of God's people who didn't lament. I mean, lament is just a language for uh, people that are living here on earth. And so what I realized was that my life included hardship, and I never wanted to think about it. You know, I achieved, I worked hard to get out of it, uh, but there was something broken down in my emotional health if I did not have an ability to lament. So... I'm, I'm kind of defining throughout the book that the lament is an expression of grief, but it's grief that God meets you in. Because I think that, all throughout, again, all throughout history, God is really drawn to people in their time of need. So when I think that God only wants my strengths, well, I, I don't even think He's attracted to that arrogance. I think He's just deeply attracted to that the person that is in a broken state, that is in need, and He never turns away lamenting prayer. Okay, we are on the phone with Esther <coughs> Fleece. Esther, by the way, well, hold on. She's the author of No More Faking Fine, Ending the Pretending. Can I just be a total jerk and ask you about your name, please? Because <laughs> you ca- can't tell me that Esther Fleece, that's that's your book name. That's your author name. <laughs> no, it's so funny, too, because people say, is that your stage name? I'm like, people, I'm a Christian speaker here. No, we do not have stage names. <laughs> so, uh, 
No, you know, the, the best part, too, is some, some of these Christian circles I'll go into, they'll say, you must have had just wonderful parents, you have two godly names, but uh, no, no, it's, it's kind of, must be the Lord's sense of humor that my name's Esther Fleece, and uh, I hated it most of my life, but I tell you what, when I learned about Esther in the Bible, and I learned that she was also orphaned, it kind of gave me somebody to look up to. I thought, hey, if she could be strong and courageous, and she was forsaken, then then that's a good namesake, you know, and I, yeah. I could certainly aspire to be like her. All right, all right. I, you know, I just honestly, you know, you look at the name Esther Fleece and you think, really, you're a big Christian speaker woman with the name Esther Fleece? Come on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Um, what about the where were you, God? Why didn't you stop this from happening to me, God? Um, you know, I'm sure you process that. So for everyone who's listening to this right now and they're, processing some pretty where-the-heck-are-you-God kind of stuff, what kind of hope do you give to people when you're dealing with what appears to be an invisible God? Yeah. You know, I think the majority of us are going to experience some type of heartache here on Earth. More of us will experience grief and lament than we will experience how the world defines prosperity. Hmm. So there is just going to be a natural part of life that we are going to cry out these questions. Where are you, God? Where were you, God? You know, how did you allow this to happen? Were you unmoved? Those are all prayers that I believe are acceptable. We see those all throughout the Psalms. And so um, what, what the, when the healing started in my own life is when I realized that nobody laments more than God himself. And so when I started taking my laments to God, you know, saying, why was I abandoned? Why was I orphaned? Why did you give me a father that didn't care to stick around for me? Why did you let my mother abuse me and then eventually leave me? And when I took those why laments to him, I realized that God himself grieved over what took place. It wasn't, it wasn't God's design for me to be abused. That, you know, God's not looking at me saying, well, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I mean, yeah. God was grieving over the pain that I experienced. And so that's the mystery of a lament. When we take our laments to God, we can, we can somehow shift our perspective. I think it's out of His grace, but He shifts our perspective to see maybe He was grieving over that circumstance, too. And that's when you start to see God as kind, you know, that God Himself is weeping over what I went through, and He wasn't just up there unmoved from my circumstances. Okay, can you... Just bring me into your story a little bit more, because so far, uh, you know, I'm getting it. I'm, I've got m- my information in front of me about your story and your book, and and uh, but I, I, I guess I'm not feeling the pain that you felt. Um, so, at the risk of sounding a little Jerry Springer here, can you please just bring us in on the kind of garbage you had to process, right? And then, and then I want to jump to, you know, how. Practically, you were able to work through that. But in, in the meantime, you know, we've got people listening, and, and we need to be drawn in by, by exactly what went down. So the first sign in your life that life was not going the way it was supposed to be going, when, dare I say, the, the hell started happening in your, in your world, what, what was it? Yeah, you know, I was in uh, elementary school, and from the outside, our family looked fine. You know, we... My father had his own business. My mother volunteered at the church. Um, but my father would get very violent, and he would um, be very physical towards my mom, just hurting her, and was very confusing um, just to see somebody that I had previously really looked up to and loved kind of causing harm. 
um, towards my mother. So, you know, looking back, I can now see that the home was one of domestic violence, but that was just kind of the introduction to um, years of neglect and abandonment and abuse. But, you know, Drew, I start the book off by um, sharing a story, and I'd love to share with your listeners. It's actually my least favorite story, which is, you know, just comical that I started the book with this. But I was a 10-year-old girl, and I was on the witness stand, and I was having to testify in a felony case that involved my biological father. Hmm. And so by this time, he was out of the family. He was removed. Um, he was spending time in and out of jail for different offenses. But this, this case is a felony case, and I was called to testify. Certainly, I didn't have any information that would have been helpful to the case, but it was just my father who had a severe mental illness. To this day, I don't even know what one. I mean, he probably had several. Uh, but it was just his way of seeing me. It was very twisted. And so I walked up to the witness stand and, um, you know, swore to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I see my, my biological family spread throughout the courtroom. There's a jury. And in front of everyone, a packed courtroom, my father's lawyer began taking my diary out. <gasps> and I couldn't believe, I just, I thought, my father stole my diary. But I just didn't even know how to process that. You know, I, I thought, I mean, I know I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, but what was it doing in the courtroom? And all these questions rushed through my mind. And I just felt just so embarrassed and publicly ashamed, especially as a little girl that had no one to process hurts with. And so I really went to my diary to talk about the hurt in my life and as I was told to read my words out loud in court, I fell to the witness stand. I was overcome with grief. I had been silencing my grief for so long that it just physically made me sick. And the judge stood up, and he, in a very stern voice, he said, you need to suck it up. Wow. You need to suck it up. You need to answer the questions with a yes or no. And Drew, I think, you know, I could sit here and talk about the different things that I saw, but it was those words that described how to handle grief. That became my good for grief. I thought, you know, here's somebody in authority telling me that I'm supposed to suck it up. So maybe I'm not supposed to let people see me cry. Maybe I'm supposed to be strong. Maybe I'm not supposed to bother people when I'm in pain. And so that is what set the course of the rest of the grief. And and soon after that, my mother got remarried. He had an affair and left the family. Then my mother was too broken to love me. She ended up leaving me. It was just life continued to get tough. But I continue to suck it up because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. <sighs> okay. As a guy, as a dad, I'm angry. But should I be? Well, yeah. I mean, I wish you were there that day. Could have used your support, Drew. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's the thing about God is I think God's father heart towards me was angry in that moment, too. I mean, God in the Bible never tells his children to suck it up and get over pain. You know, he actually rebukes people throughout Scripture that just put a sloppy formula on people in the middle of their grief. So I think God was angry, too. I think that's an appropriate response. Okay, what's what's in all of this for me? Like, is there something in the background that uh, our regular listeners are going to roll their eyes and go, Drew, you didn't really change after the Camino because you're asking the same kind of questions. And Tim knows where I'm going to go with this. Um, you know, I remember walking out of the children's portion or part of the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, sobbing and enraged at this invisible God who didn't even bother showing up for the annihilation of his people's children. Mm. And now we're talking about you being a kid and having to endure 
Nonsense. Have there been people who have endured worse? Yes. But I'm, we're not talking about them. We're talking about you. And so how do you, in your theology, figure out the invisibility? Of, I think I asked this similarly before, but I want to just hunker down into it a little bit more. The invisibility of God in the midst of this, of this nastiness that you were going through. God did not show up. God didn't help yeah. you. God didn't save you. God, God didn't perfect, protect you. And if he's a, if God is a, a protective, loving father figure, you know, then what the heck? Yeah, I think that's where I just, you know, how how do I resolve that in my head? I mean, it's been years that I have wrestled. So I don't want to just put some quick answer on that. Because for anyone asking that question, it's a good question to ask. It's a good question to wrestle with. But for me personally, that's where I had to realize that God himself laments. God himself hurts. God is not the author of evil. He's not the author of suffering. He's not the author of pain. And so while sometimes it feels he is unmoved, I don't believe that he is. I believe that um, he is sending people to help us in our distress. I believe that he won't keep us in that place forever. And and ultimately, if I'm in that place for a long time, and I was, I believe he grieves alongside of me. But, you know, it took me realizing, what does God think of this? I mean, what does God think of the Holocaust survivors? And I went to Auschwitz uh, two summers ago. And of course I said, why? Why, God, why did this happen? How did this happen? And you just have to realize that God himself, Jesus gives us the example of saying, is there any other way? You know, Jesus himself laments. God laments. Mm, that's good. I like and that I one, yeah. Yeah, so he Jesus was sitting there going, uh, saying to his father, seriously, Dad, is there any other way we can get this done? Yeah. Or do I have to be beaten to a pulp and, and killed? Yeah. Yeah, and would we, would we tell Jesus to suck it up? I mean, no, he gave us this example of agonizing in grief over what was about to happen. And I think that that gives us full permission to agonize with the suffering in this world, to take it to God and, and ask, yes, where was he? And ask if he was unmoved, but also to look at his history. And he's never unmoved from the laments of people. He's never, he's not, he never removed himself from that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I forgot we're doing a radio show. I was listening. Um Folks, we're on the line with Esther Flea. She's the author of No More Faking Fine, Ending the Pretending. Here's a website for you to go to, estherfleece.com. I like the thing that you're doing with the website, the No More Faking Fine Stories. Uh, tell our peeps about that. Peeps? What am I, 18? Tell our people. You gangsta. <laughs> yeah. Tell our people about this this thing. Yeah, you know, I think, um, goodness, I, I certainly try to be vulnerable um, in my story and talk about the hardship I went through, but... You know, every single person carries hardship and difficulty. And so I just think that there's, uh, when one person stops taking fine, it gives permission for everyone else to kind of do the same, Drew. And so I just ask people to go on the website, estherplace.com, and share maybe some of their distress that they're walking through. Or maybe maybe they were in distress and God met them, and that might encourage somebody else to persevere. Because there's stories of uh, parents who are hurting, there's stories of widows who are hurting, there's uh, stories of current or- orphans that are hurting. And I think all too often we just silence those in the workplace and in the church. You know, where do the lamenters go? Where do they go? I mean, traditionally, the Jewish people were great lamenters, and they would lament in community. And we've lost that. We've lost that. And so I wanted to um, help encourage people 
to end the pretend and share their own No More Faking Frank story. So it's not all about Esther's story. Yeah. It's about all of us together saying, we're going to stop pretending. We're going to stop faking that it's fine when it's really not. Um, I got it. Not to take any thunder. Thunder? Is that what we had? Not to take any thunder away from your uh, storm. <laughs> What's the saying? <laughs> to steal your thunder. Steal your thunder. Not to... <laughs> <laughs> you spent all this time in Spain. You're having to translate everything in your head. Not to steal, take any of your thunder from, from your the storm. storm. Oh, man. Let's try that again. Um, I, that's one of the reasons I started CaminoConfessions.com is I wanted a place for me to be uh, awkwardly open, transparent, vulnerable, authentic. And I was hoping that I, my, by me doing this, and I mean it's awkward, <laughs> that it might encourage others to to drop a note in there and, and, uh, and sort of open up. And I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, as probably you are as well. Uh, is that sure. fair to say, Esther? Mm-hmm. Because you guys are on the same page. I think all of this is, you know, that, that's, you, you're not going to have, I think, um, genuine growth without genuine vulnerability. Yeah. And community, too. I mean, you look at the people who you're close with, and it's people that you know have been there for you in a storm, mm. you know, speaking of thunder. I mean, it's great that women like to go get our hair, hair done together and nails done together. And, but you need, you need to go through hard things to know who your real friends are. You know, and I think that when we just pretend everything's fine, we're keeping our relationships at a superficial level. And I think that we're designed for more than that. You know, not just in our relationships with God, but in our relationships with one another. We can handle each other's pain. We can walk with one another. We're created to do it, actually. So I'm going to talk about your website after this, too. I can't wait to look at it. Well, vice versa. Um, A vice president at a consulting firm by the age of 25. Um, Are you married now, Esther? I'm sorry I didn't look into uh, the whole uh, life story of yours. Are you married? Yeah, well, you know, I don't end the book that way, but I did just get married two months ago. (laughs) So Okay, um, can I just get... I have to get into something now. You're going to hate me for this, but we're going there. Well, you know, the correlation is this. You're a vice president at a consulting firm by the age of 25. Immediately, my mind went to, well, you probably didn't get married till later in life. Yeah, I mean, I was 34. I'm 34, so yeah. I got married at 34. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not later, later, but, you know, yeah, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, you were, you were, you were driven, man. Would you have driven me nuts if we were pals back then? Oh, no, I don't think so. Why, why do you get... Do you, do you uh, get bothered by driven people? <laughs> mm, I don't know. I prefer chilled people, but... He doesn't suffer okay. fools gladly, I'll say that. No. no, no. <laughs> fools in his presence well, do not appreciate... I think, I think, Drew, based on your discernment, you probably would have said, she, she's, you know, covering... For Cover, exactly. You know, That's exactly what I'm yeah. saying, yes. Yeah. That's the part no, that would have driven me nuts. I would have smelled in you... A facade. You something to me, though. You wouldn't have faked fine. You would have said something. Yeah. Yeah, good call. <laughs> good call. But, but here's the thing. In the church, you know, I've been, worked for churches. I've worked for nonprofits. And, I mean, you start getting looks if you're in your late 20s and you're still single. And I really <laughs> just didn't date. I really didn't date. But, um, you know, my heart wasn't ready for it. I think sometimes we put pressure on singles to start dating. And I wasn't ready. I was I was. I was not willing to face a potential abandonment of my heart again. And so it was actually the most healthy thing for me that I didn't date in my 20s. But most most of the Christian culture looked at me like I was weird. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, they wanted you to go to the, uh, I can't remember what the group, the Lonely and Homelies group. What do we call them again? <laughs> no, the Flirt and Convert, the sing, the adult singles group or the whatever they, I just, I'm such a judgmental jerk. I really am. I'm trying to change. I'm trying. Oh. Anyway. Well, Esther, I appreciate anybody that's willing to put their guts on pages. So thank you for that. And I really respect somebody who can bring back the old school word, lament, and uh, and get us thinking about stuff that our generation skips over. Uh, our yeah. gener- Now I'm sounding like I'm 80. Um, <laughs> EstherFleece.com. EstherFleece.com. I, I wish you the best. Oh, sorry. I want to ask you this one last thing. Sorry. I know we're over time here, and you probably have to do something more important than a radio show. But CNN's, one of CNN's five women in religion to watch. Why were, why were people watching you? Good question. I don't know. I think we, we there's something about it. We just like putting people on pedestals. I, I never asked for that for sure. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think they're still watching me, but I think I think Christians that take a stand and put themselves out there in the public sphere, I think people are listening more than we care to admit. But I have no idea, Drew. Okay. Hey, I do want to share something with you, though, if that's okay. Oh, all right. Before we, had, before we go. <laughs> You know, I, well, because here's the thing, I just, you know, I said I was married, so I feel like now half the people are rolling their eyes, like, oh, sure, she has a happy ending of her story now. But um, that, that really isn't the case. Uh, during my honeymoon, I actually found out that my biological father uh, passed away. I got the, the horrible news that he passed wow. away, and there was just tons of grief there. And I think what I want to say you know, to your listeners is that we can, we can even be in the honeymoon seasons of life, and we can be thankful for the gifts that we have. But there's still a, a place for lament in our lives. Um, and and even having a good life doesn't mean it's void of lament. You know, I mm-hmm. think it, it's just more realistic to say we're going to have good and we're going to have sorrow every day of our life. And if we prepare our hearts for that, when the sorrow does come, it's not going to it's not going to knock us out in our faith walk. I think we're going to be like, okay, we were, we were prepared for this. We were told it's going to be hard. Yeah. So, you know, just in case anyone's you know, out there saying, oh, sure, easy for her to write a book. She just got married and her life turned out great. No. Anybody that's married knows that that's that's not... (laughs) (laughs) That's not the end. That's not the end. No. Shoot. Yeah. Sorry sorry about your luck. Um, Esther, I want to finish this by by seriously just... Oh, I don't even know if I can... Because it's going to sound trite. Like, I don't know you. Uh, You don't know me. (laughs) Um... I'm just so bugged that all that nasty stuff happened to you. You just did not. It was you. Were, it's unfair. You didn't deserve it. And as a father, it drives me nuts. And I'm so mm-hmm. sorry that you had to go through that. Uh, look, we Thank all you. we all know the gods and digging lemons and making lemonade. I get all that, but it still sucks. And I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. Yeah. Well, anyway. Hey, that means a lot, and I think that's the best thing we can say to people who have had hurts is just, I'm sorry. So I appreciate that. It really does mean a lot to me. EstherFleece.com is the website, and again, the book is No More Faking Fine, Ending the Pretending. I'm all over this. Love it. Love it. Thank you for joining us, Esther. You bet. You have a good day, eh? Okay, eh? Beauty. Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) See you. Bye-bye. She was dying to say that. She had that written down in front of her. I I couldn't pick up that, uh, you know that movie, Fargo? Yes. Aren't they all like um, Michigan boys? Uh, May- yes, they are. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just smiling and nodding. Story no. That. Short break. When we come back, 
live on the Drew Marshall Show, devoted solely to the art of music, is Amber McLean. Love this girl. You are in for a treat. The live performance is coming up next. I look to the children, I drink from the fountains. There's more than one answer to these questions, pointing me in a... Higher Ground Cafe in beautiful Bell Fountain. Come for the coffee. Stay for the nature. 